I think probably the best advice that, well, certainly the one that resonates most with me actually came from the co-chair of our firm who actually also worked on a part-time basis earlier in her career when her children were younger. And she often says that you should think about it as it's a, your career is kind of a 40-year career. This part of your life is a small part of that, but you should think of it in longer terms. And actually, it's not just about the here and now. You've got to find ways to make it work while you have younger children. But think about it, it is the long game. That's always resonated with me. Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. If you are interested, you can take the first step to join a network of like-minded, ambitious parents who also happen to love their children from all sectors by going to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship. We actually have applications to our fellowship open now. If you want to apply, do make sure you get your applications in by 15th October. There are also some part-funded and reduced um, spaces available. You get a senior leader mentor, access to challenging sometimes and definitely thought-provoking input about what works for parents and careers and also space to think for you in a structured environment and we welcome mums and dads and people who are expecting. So if you have any questions obviously you can schedule a call with me via our website or just get in touch with me or my team and some of our fellows are arranging Q&A sessions where you can ask them about their experience on the program. I guess one of the big things in the fellowship and really also the podcast is about bringing together interesting people who push the boundaries of what's possible and I think Chris Bryant is definitely one of those. He is a partner at the law firm Brian Cave Leeton Paisner. It's an international law firm and he works in antitrust and competition as well as international trade and he happens to be the leader of the firm's Brexit task force. So he definitely does have his hands full, but he does all this in a three day per week. So that's pretty uncommon, especially for this sector. And I don't know what your <laughs> what your image is of a law firm, but I always imagine, you know, that very high powered environment where you have to be 24 hours a day accessible to your clients. Chris tells me that that is a myth, but his reflections are really interesting. And I think you'll find it absolutely fascinating to hear how he sets boundaries, for example, when it comes to monkey music. Also, how he has evolved as a leader working part-time. And he does share with us some really practical and invaluable insights on negotiating pay, as well as saying no. Chris is a real trailblazer in his field, and I think you will enjoy the conversation. A very warm welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, who you are, what you do for work, and who is in your family? Yeah, hi. Well, thanks very much for having me. So I'm Chris Bryant. I'm a partner with the international law firm Brian Cave, Leighton Paisner. And I'm also um, dad to two young daughters, Elspeth, who is three, and Maisie, who is one. And I combine my role as a lawyer 
with working part-time and also looking after my children. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Mm, Great. And can you tell us a bit more about the working pattern? How many days you work? How do you practically sort it out? Yeah, so I guess there's a there's a, a pre-lockdown and hopefully once we're back to some semblance of normality version, then there's a kind of lockdown and its continuation version. So I guess there's sort of the basic position sort of pre-everything that's that's occurred is that I, I work a three-day week. Um, so normally the pattern was that I would work Tuesday, Thursdays and Fridays and Mondays and Wednesdays, I would have the children. So I'd have Maisie, the youngest, on, on a Monday, and I'd have both of them on a Wednesday. Um, so that was the pattern that I worked but up until everything changed. Um, then it's been a bit more flexible. So like pretty much most of the population with children, my partner and I have taken it in shifts. And so what we tend to do is kind of split that three-day week over kind of sessions. So into half days, evenings, etc. when when we can. But uh, it varies very much on the childcare. So, um, but in a normal world, it's the three-day week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And tell me the story about how you ended up going from working, I presume, in, in quotation marks, normal, you know, standard, what you would expect from a partner in a law firm working pattern to three-day week, which is quite unusual. Yeah, it is. So basically, when we were expecting my, my oldest child, we had the conversations between my partner and I about what we would do. And and originally, the plan had been for us both to go to, to a four-day week. And then actually, the more and more I thought about it, I thought, thought, actually, you know what, I want to have more time with her. Let's try and do a three-day week and see if that works. And it was more sort of experimental to start with, to see if if I could make that work. And if not, then revert to a four-day week but but that was the idea and that was kind of three and a half years ago and and I've been doing it since then really so it takes quite a bit of organization which I'm you know we'll we'll come on to but it was it was very much just a a desire to kind of see if this works so that I could spend more time with with the children. I don't want this to come out wrong. So give me, we're doing this over Zoom between us as well. So you can give me a wink secretly if you don't want me to ask this and the listeners want to hear it. But <laughs> yeah, so to me, this is a very brave thing to do. And it is a brave thing also for a man where there are so many expectations about what type of man a good father is. And I just wondered, did you face any expectations from your family, friends, maybe even your colleagues when you were first yeah. um I, mm. yeah so in terms of the the reactions I, I faced different reactions i'd say no one was hostile to it or or against it some were surprised i think you know it is fair to say some were surprised purely based on stereotypical versions of you know what a what a, a dad or a man should do but overwhelmingly i think the reaction was quite positive of you know very much well you know, good for you well, actually you've given me the idea that i might consider something like that or you know, a partner might consider something like that and actually i would say vast majority of people were, were really positive and and if anything it was just surprised that a man mm. would do it but that was more for people that didn't really know me mm. well mm. <laughs> i would mm. say and were you 
nervous or apprehensive or was it always I'm going to do this I don't care what people think No I think I I was definitely a little bit nervous about asking and I prepared my case fully as to all the arguments why it was a good idea not just for me but for the firm and for the people I worked with why why this was good and we could make this work and and actually in the reality was I didn't need to use any of the arguments because when I asked the immediate reaction was great yeah let's try it but I was nervous about it I think what made me confident enough to kind of take the leap and ask was that I think I'd got to a point in my career where I felt comfortable enough that I was kind of senior enough and and I had enough kind of capital behind me that I could say you know what I am going to try this I am going to make this work I think being quite blunt about if it was if this was earlier on in my career I don't think I would have had that confidence to ask and I think I'd have been even more nervous about it potentially even to the point of of not asking about it but I I'd reached a place where actually I felt you know what I'm they know me well enough they know who I am um they know that if I say I'm going to try and make this work then I'll try and make this work so it was a combination of those factors but even then it wasn't it wasn't an easy thing to to do and and you know prepare for that conversation mm-hmm. I bet and who did you have to ask for permission in quotation marks so just so our listeners understand and I understand as well so a partner is basically yep. one of the most senior people in a law firm yep. and you're accountable for clients and clients outcomes yep. and yeah so did you have to ask a, a group of senior partners or do you have a line manager how does it work so I, I had to ask the the global head of my department and then ultimately the global head of the wider department that we sit in so as you say as a partner you're you're, you're pretty senior but even then there are groups and there are structures so there are you know, there are department heads etc I had to clear it with them but actually, as I say, the preparation for the conversation was was hard, but the conversation itself was was really really easy because the immediate answer was yeah great let's let's try it, and I think they immediately saw the benefits as well of having you know, someone in in my position effectively as a you know a role model they could hold out and say you look here's somebody that's doing this, but also you know, they know me, they know me well, they know that you know I'm not going to kind of take liberties with it if I say that I'm going to try and make this work then that means I'm going to try and make this work mm, brilliant and when you were in that process of deciding you didn't know yet that this was going to go down well and it sounds like you prepared for no. all eventualities was there yeah. anyone who's given you advice that shaped your approach or anyone that really influenced your approach to asking for this yeah so I guess in terms of influence the main person who I took as a model for what I was doing was actually one of the one of the associates in my team who was working on a flexible basis, which again had been something that a few years previously we we trialed on a, an experimental basis and it and it worked, and I actually thought you know what that works that's a pretty good template for how I can make this work just in terms of being available but also carving out the time that you that you need with the, with the children etc and so that was kind of my I guess my model and 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 in a way an inspiration for that I also had 
some conversations with people in other partners in other parts of my firm who also worked on a flexible basis so some on a part-time basis and some on a kind of flexi basis where they have the kind of officially part-time but effectively they're full-time during term time and they would have school holidays off and spend that time with their children and I spoke to them about how they prepared for the conversation and what they thought what their reaction was to my suggestion that I do it and and that was helpful particularly in terms of just getting my confidence levels over the line to be able to do it because the the reaction that I received from those people was very much sounds great do it yeah definitely do it and I think if there'd been any reticence or or if if the, if the reaction had been oh I'm not so sure about that then I think that may have that may have coloured my view a little bit differently but actually they were the two people I'm thinking of in particular that I had very detailed conversations with were both very much go for it yeah absolutely mm. that helped convince me but yeah the other interesting thing was actually I discovered through that process that more people worked on a kind of flexible basis than I necessarily understood previously so it was only through having those conversations that I actually realized because for for various reasons not everyone will trumpet their arrangements etc and and so you won't necessarily know unless you actually have those conversations Mm -hmm. that is very interesting isn't it I don't know if it's going to stay the same now post-covid I think it may still be some sometimes there's a pressure for people who work flexibly to almost hide it to pretend that they're there all the time and I've definitely had conversations with people who do who do hide it and you obviously don't yeah yeah so I'm just interested from a client perspective now again this may be my stereotypes about law firms coming out to bear with me but my understanding is that you are there for the clients your purpose is to give a good service to the clients and a lot of clients historically expect 24 7 access from the senior partner on the case yep how did you deal with that and just practically how do you make accessibility work how do you set boundaries yeah so actually the the way that i thought about this was kind of inspired by the approach that we took with the associate mentee team who, who worked on the flexible basis and it was the fact that the way that that effectively works is that there were carved out pockets and actually i thought that in reality, those carved out pockets where you're not available are not actually all that different from just if you're working full time. There are always times if you're working 24-7, I can be, you know, even now, I, I can be in a meeting, I can be in a court hearing, I can be, you know, not so much now with COVID, but I can be on a flight. And so th- th- this whole idea that everyone was available 24 7 it's a myth it's a a myth that people tell themselves but the reality is you're not nobody is because because actually if you if you are available 24 7 then you're probably not actually doing your job properly because there will always be times when you are not available because you're working for for clients etc that's the that's the nature of it and the way i saw it was actually it's no different if i've got a three-hour block where I'm going to monkey music or whatever and I'm with the children why should that be any different to if it's a three-hour block where I'm in court 
the difference I think is very much in in our own heads rather than in clients' heads. And actually, I then had the conversation with clients, a few clients that I know knew very well who I've, I've worked with for many, many, many years who know me and trust me. And from their point of view, they didn't have a problem with it at all on the basis that they know that I'm responsive. They know that the, the minute I can get back to them, I will. They know that my emails are monitored. So if I am in a court hearing or a meeting or if I'm now, if I'm with the children, my email's monitored anyway. So if something is urgent, there is someone who will pick it up and is able to able to deal with it. And so from that point of view, they know that nothing's going to, they're going to be missed. It will be. The interesting thing also is you, know, you, you sort of think of clients as being these sort of inhuman entities and the reality is that's that's the entity that that they sit within but actually you're talking people and you're talking about people who themselves actually in most cases understand exactly because a lot of them have been through similar pressures themselves or 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 are in, in a similar situation themselves so you sort of forget the human element to it when you think of clients as these kind of faceless beings and actually they're not. And and actually from those conversations, clients were very much of the view, you know, yeah, we know you, we trust you. We trust that you're going to do just as good a job for us. And therefore they didn't have a problem with it. And actually what was useful with that was having kind of frank conversations about the urgency of some of the pieces of work and so what i find now is actually rather than situation where say everything's urgent need this turned around right now etc i'm able to say if it's urgent let me know we will deal with it if it's not urgent as to when i do it is my issue you tell me when you need it it will happen if you need to phone me on my mobile now because something is extremely urgent and there have been situations where that's the case absolutely fine but if it's not, we will deal with it. It will happen. And actually, those sorts of conversations were really refreshing, really good to have because you, you know, it's a two-way communication, and it's a two-way communication that's kind of built on trust. And you know, I can say in three and a half years now of doing this, there hasn't been a single problem. Mm. You know, I'm not going to pretend for a minute that those conversations were easy to prepare for. Um, because in my head, I was kind of thinking, you know, what happens if they turn around and say, no, how could you? We're about to, you know, we're going to scoot off to another law mm. firm now. I didn't think that was going to happen. But, you know, you always have that nagging doubt in your mind, don't you? But actually, you know, the conversations themselves were then very, very straightforward because the reaction again was, yeah, great, brilliant. It's also, I think COVID's changed things a little bit as well. With everyone working from home, it's not at all unusual now for anyone to you know, be interrupted if they're on a call and you know, little people come in and want to play Lego or, mm. or anything like that. One of the, I guess, the blessings of this is actually it's the, the human nature of people has actually become a lot more apparent and you know, people's home lives, etc. I've had calls with clients where I've, I've kind of said, look, you know, I can take a call now. You've got to just know that I'll have my miniature assistant with me who may well want to give you some input of their own and they're Mm. fine with that i find it's easier to be 
transparent and it's easier to be frank about it than to hide it but i completely get why people might want mm. to hide it because i toyed with that myself <laughs> mm, absolutely so this is all fascinating it sounds like you're doing lots of practical things behind the scenes to make this worse so i understand you actually had an intentional conversation with an agenda where it says, I want to talk to you about what's urgent or what my working arrangement is. That's a brave thing to do. Yes. So you went to a client and said, by the way, we need to talk about, what did you say to the client? So I basically decided which clients I needed to have that conversation with, first of all. And then basically, I think with most of them, it was at the end of another call where we were talking about other things, I said, by the way, can we just have five minutes just to talk about just a little change in my working patterns? This is what I'm proposing to do, but this is why it won't cause any problems for you and explain the position to them that way. So always by phone rather than email, just to to be able to talk about it, I think is easier than you can spend hours and hours and hours crafting, uh, crafting the right email, but actually I found it easier just to to talk, but it was very, very intentional that I planned, yes, I will speak to these clients about what I plan to do. Brilliant. And other than that, it sounds like you had some very protected time, for example, monkey music, and you had someone checking your emails while you were off. Anything else practical that you think listeners might find helpful? Those are the, the main things. So just carving it i find it's easier to carve out windows than it is to kind of say i'm not doing anything at all this day etc just for, for me that's what i works having those protected times the other thing is just having as much flexibility as you can when you need to so as a general rule i try not to change things around from my pattern if i can but I know that there will be times when I need to, I may need to travel. There may be you know, a hearing scheduled on a particular date. Also, my partner also works on a, a part-time basis where she has Fridays with the children. Again, there are times when she might need to swap a Friday for a different day. So having flexibility where you can is great from a practical perspective. And I appreciate that for some people that's easier than it is for others the other absolute savior that we that we found was our work um, participates in a scheme where they provide emergency childcare um so you're entitled to a certain number of days per year it's to cover things like illnesses etc or just when something arises where you need that short notice emergency cover and that has been a complete saviour on a couple of occasions. Again, you only when absolutely needed, but there have been a handful of occasions where we both needed to attend something where there was no way it could possibly move for either of us. And therefore, we needed to find a temporary solution. And that's been great. And so that's something I'd say to people, explore it with, with your employer whether they do have that sort of scheme. If they don't, there are a couple of different providers that do that. You register yourself just so that if you need to, at very short notice, you've got the ability to do mm. so. So I think practically they're probably the main things that 
that I would say have helped to kind of survive mm-hmm. with it. Brilliant. And on that note of surviving, one conversation I happen to have sometimes is with individuals who say that over a period of weeks or months, they end up working a lot more than their part-time pattern and then they get resentful about that. Has this ever happened to you and how have you dealt it or have you seen other people that it has happened to and, and how have they dealt with it? Yeah, I found yes. So it's always very difficult with that, especially if you are kind of conscientious that you'll find that you you'll put the hours in and soon you'll find out actually uh, you're not really working part-time all that much at all. And yeah, I certainly found that. Interestingly, what, what I found was I looked at what I was doing across across a whole year actually and analyzed the number of hours I was working and actually in reality it wasn't a three-day week it was significantly more than that and actually I, I did have that conversation then with my seniors as to you know, actually although this is structured this way in reality this is what I'm doing and I'm totally fine with that but let's just have some recognition of that in terms of if you find you're working more you know i think yes that in a lot of jobs that may well end up being the case and the harder thing to manage i guess is avoiding becoming resentful about that and i think the way i managed that was actually just be open about that and actually say look you can see what i'm doing let's regularize this don't be shy in having those kind of conversations because if you don't that's when it can build up that's when it can fester and that's when you can become resentful and i think in a lot of cases you don't need to but again, it's kind of having that confidence to have that conversation. Mm, absolutely. And do you think you yourself changed as a result of becoming a part-time, well, a, you're still a leader, but working part-time as a leader compared to before where you were working full-time? I think so. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly how, but I think, yes, I think I've kind of had to change because you don't survive and you don't thrive unless you do change because previously my default position was that I would never ever dream of saying no to anything and would aim to please everybody all the time. And that's simply not possible when you're, when you are working part-time that, that, that doesn't work. And so I've kind of learned to prioritize more in terms of that and, not trying to please everybody all the time. And I have learned to say no where where no is the right answer. And before, I think there would have been many cases where no would have been the right answer, but I still said yes. So what do you say yes to at the moment and what type of things do you tend to say no to? So where I would generally say no to is if, if I'm asked to do something, but actually... I'm not the best place person to do it, but I can do it. And it's something that's not not critical. Then previously it would it would not have occurred to me to say no because I wouldn't have thought, am I the best place person to do it? I would have just thought, can I do it? Whereas now I will think, am I the best place person to do this? And if the answer to that is no, then I will think, well, actually, in that case, should somebody else do this? Can I help? guide somebody else to do this etc and that wasn't my default position before my default position was simply if i could do it then i would make the time somehow somewhere 
Whereas now that time is more of a finite resource, you can't do that. Mm, and I really do be and, and that's that's hard. It is a learning process. It's still a learning process even now. And um, you know, you ask me in ten years' time, it'll probably still be a learning process. But I found that that became a necessity. Mm, mm, absolutely. And I do think so many people become better leaders as part of having to learn to do these things differently and and learn yes. to say no is is a. Just in a sentence, how do you say no to someone without upsetting them? So you don't leave it at just no, I think is the important thing. That's not in a sentence. Just to expand on that, I think give an alternative and explain why. For example, no, I can't, but I'm probably not the best person to do it. Have you thought about asking so-and-so and I can help them and guide them? That response is not going to upset anybody. If you do the kind of straight out sort of Little Britain style, you know, computer says no, that's going to upset people. But that isn't how I think most people would respond mm. anyway. Present some other option, but don't automatically think, oh, if you know, if they're asking me, then it must be me. Because sometimes I found in a lot of cases, people will ask you, not because they have considered it for themselves, that actually they definitely 100% think you need to do it. It's just, it's easier to ask you. They know you, they've asked or they've asked you previously, or you've done something previously, etc. In a lot of cases, people don't care. They just, they want something done. They want it done well. But as long as you direct them to someone who will do it well and you supervise if, you, if that's the right thing, etc., mm. then there's no problem with that. Mm, I agree. And I do think saying no is also a habit to learn. And actually, at the beginning, it's going to feel really difficult, isn't it? And then after oh, it a does. while, it, it feels very And strange. after a while, it gets used to it. So just be patient with yourself if you're saying no and it's horrible at the beginning. It will be yeah. much easier later on. We were at the panel of the kickoff of our Leaders with Babies event just before lockdown. I think it was our last event. And you were yes. <laughs> you were mentioning you were giving some really good advice about pay. And now we do know that in the UK part-time work is one of the main drivers for the gender pay gap. Part-time work is paid less per hour than full-time work, unfortunately. Yep. And I really think it shouldn't be that way. And you I think from what you said, you managed to not fall into that pattern. So What is your advice on negotiating pay when you are negotiating on going part-time? Yeah, so I think with this, this is probably the most difficult aspect of it for, for most people. And won't pretend it was easy from my point of view. But I think I found that actually, you know, I was working a lot more than the three-day week that I was kind of scheduled to work and but then I obviously realized you know I was being paid on the basis of a three-day week and, and so I did decide to have a conversation about pay and the approach that I took and the approach that I would recommend people to take is, is kind of look at your overall value and contribution which includes hours and includes real hours not just kind of what's on what's on paper but look more holistically than that as well and actually consider your own worth and i think that's something that's really hard for people to do because i think often your default is kind of is to sort of think that oh if i'm working part time i'm actually a burden and and i'm getting this great privilege well actually the reality is is often not the case and actually i think for a lot of people if you actually sit down and try and objectively 
look at your own value and your own contribution, then actually for a lot of people, it would be greater than they would normally think. And I think don't be afraid to have those conversations because it's too easy to kind of think, well, but I'm only part-time and, you know, and they're doing me this massive favor. Do actually look at it. And for me, it was easier because we have stats that we can see. And so I was able to kind of see, okay, this is what I'm doing from an hour's point of view, but these are the other outputs that I provided and contributed to etc and therefore I, I kind of prepared effectively prepared my case as to why there should be an adjustment that reflected more what what I did and I think no one particularly likes talking about money it's kind of what is one of those things that it isn't straightforward but I think it is necessary because if you don't that's where the path to resentment lies and it isn't necessary to take that path, but it's not easy. And I'm not going to pretend for a minute that it is. Mm, mm, absolutely. But thank you for explaining this, because I think it's fantastic when people who work part time do have those conversations about pay so that we can make sure we do have equal pay between part time and full time colleagues and actually yep. like you say make sure that you're paid by what you achieve if you can have a, a simple yes. measurement like you do in your job uh, yep. rather than by the amount of time that you're you're present yeah okay so i want to ask you one more question about you personally what difference has you being at home for those two days made to you personally and your family i think i've been able to experience more of fatherhood than I would or certainly would have done you know had I had I not taken those steps so I definitely think I have a closer bond with my girls as a result of spending more time with them and we get to go to classes I think our relationship is certainly closer than it would be if that were not the case I find it really really rewarding because I really want to be part of their lives especially at this young age and I find for me I can can achieve that and get to spend that time with them and that, that's really what what I want to get out of it and so you don't get this time back I think that that's the main thing I kind of think is when they're at this young kind of preschool age so many people do say to you oh you know you don't get that time back and it's absolutely true and so I didn't want to kind of get to five, six years time and look back and, and think, oh, you know, I missed out on that. And I didn't want to have that regret, which I've seen other people have. And I just kind of thought, yeah, I can see why there is that regret and it does gnaw away at people. And I just thought, I don't want to go there. I want to have, you know, I want to be part mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I want to ask you the final question, which is, if someone is listening to this and really wants to thrive in a senior part-time role rather than survive, what do you think should be the top three things they should be doing this week? Right. Oh gosh, that's that, that is a difficult. <laughs> I question. know. I know. So, in well, I'd say the top three things to be able to thrive. First thing I would say in relation to that is thriving is like the gold standard, and I think in order to thrive, don't beat yourself up if all you're doing is surviving. There will be times when, obviously, you aim to thrive. There will be times when all you will do is survive. And that's absolutely true. 
and this number one tip is don't beat yourself up when that's the case you're not going to thrive all the time so don't push too hard and try and and get yourself into a state because of that so that's number one number two is actually do have a, a sense of your own worth so do actually think right i'm making a valuable contribution during the time when i'm at work and i am there for a reason and i am perfectly capable of leading well on a part-time basis and that does not change so you don't have to change in terms of your abilities on that front and i think from a psychological point of view that's i think that's really important just to to remember your own worth i think would be point two and point three is be as flexible as you can there will be curveballs that will that will come up just if you're flexible that will help you to thrive Mm. insofar as is possible and there are times when it it is not possible absolutely and i love your advice about not beating yourself up on on that so yeah yeah so you've been extremely thought-provoking today chris thank you so much if people want to connect with you find out more about your work um where would you like them to head so well i if they want to find out about me the sort of work that i do the our firm website bclplaw.com i'm on there if people would like to connect with me i am on i am on linkedin and so they search for chris bryant i am not the politician by the same name but if you search search for me at bclp you can find me so yes fantastic thank you very much chris thank you again for listening today really appreciate you being interested in this content So if you're looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are also parents across sectors, then head to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship. And well, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have applications open now and they close on the 15th of October. We're also going to start headhunting mentors for our fellows very soon. So should you know of an amazing senior leader who is just brilliant at championing championing people being able to combine ambitious careers with young children then definitely let me know also if this podcast has helped you then i would really appreciate if you can share it with five of your friends and also if you leave a review and subscribe to the podcast and obviously like with any podcast five star reviews really help with the visibility and i'm told with the complicated algorithm that uh, (laughs) that shows how to do but basically that makes podcasts visible so if you can help then that would be wonderful thank you for listening again until next time have a wonderful week